this morning. Let me invite your attention to James chapter 5. And as we open God's Word this morning, let me say to you, Anson, I love you, and we're honored to serve with you here at First Baptist Church. And as we were at the Southern Baptist Convention over the last number of days, we pray for you daily because we want to see this church and us together be all that God wants us to be. And so, church, we love you, and we appreciate being able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with you and alongside you to make much of him. Uh, the other day we were uh, traveling from one place to the other, coming to the convention center, and there was a billboard, the gambling industry in California is alive and well, and there was a casino, and there was a big billboard at the casino, and it had the title, it just said this, we're here for you. And so I said to Angie, I said, I really doubt that. I doubt that. I've never been inside there, Don't, not going inside, but I doubt that is true. But then I said, but can people say to the church when we say that, we're here for you, do people know it and do we mean it? When I think about the members of this church, as many members as we have, do our church family know that we're here for you? And then outside the walls today of this building, there are thousands upon thousands of people connected to no church. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know the truth. They don't even know his name. I spoke to a guy, an Uber driver the other day who did not even know the name of Jesus. But do they know that we're here for them? And so as we think about the mission and ministry of our church, yes, we want to be effective what happens in this room, but we also want to be effective, effective at what happens outside this room that people will know that we are here for them. That's what James is talking about here in James chapter Five. I'll never forget after 9-11, and as you remember, our country was prayerful, but our country was fearful in many ways. And uh, I remember most of us watched hours upon hours of television following that Tuesday, and we were just seeing all that was taking place to find people and to rescue people, to hopefully find survivors, but also to even find those who perished that families could have some closure and I remember from that, there were people, workers and volunteers, literally from all over the nation, who came to New York City. There was a term that we learned entitled Ground Zero, and there were people working around the clock under lights to try to find people and to rescue people. The governor of, or even the mayor of New York City made a statement, I remember his words, talking about the rescue effort. He said these things, he gave three points to it. He said, one, the rescue effort is going to be difficult and dangerous. He said, second, the rescue effort is going to take a considerable amount of time. And then thirdly, he said, the rescue effort requires all of us to work together. Church this morning, we're at ground zero in our city. And if there's going to be a rescue effort, those same truths apply to you and me. It's going to be dangerous and difficult. It's going to take a considerable amount of time. But if we're going to be involved in a rescue effort that James is talking about, it requires that we all serve and work together. It's essential if we're going to do that. If I ask you this morning, what, what, why does the church exist? What would you say? Uh, there'd be many answers to that question and, and good answers as well. But, but you imagine this, if we go outside the walls of this building and we ask people on the streets who not connected to a church, why does a church exist? We get vastly different answers. But for those of us in this room, and we normally say this, why does a church exist? Well, we exist to worship God. We worship him in spirit and in truth.
We exist to evangelize. We want to reach people who need a relationship with Christ. We exist to disciple people. We want to help believers grow and mature in the relationship with Jesus. We exist to minister. We serve other people in the name of Jesus. We exist to fellowship. We share life together. Mountains, valleys, we're there for one another. We exist for missions. We want to make sure that in neighborhoods to the nations, we're making much of Jesus. But also we exist to pray that everything we do should be undergirded by prayer as a church, that we'd be a praying church. Those would be great answers in that. As I think about that question, why do we exist as a church? No doubt we exist for those purposes. But our ultimate desire today, as we think about the ministry of this church, we exist to make sure that we bring glory to our Heavenly Father. And so if we're going to worship Him, let's glorify Him. As we evangelize, let's glorify Him. As we disciple people, let's glorify Him. As we minister in the name of Jesus, let's bring Him glory. As we fellowship with one another, mountains, valleys, let's bring Him glory. As we go to the nations, to the neighborhoods, let's bring Him glory. And then as we pray, let's make sure He is glorified in everything that we do. And let's make sure that we keep our eyes in the right place as a church. So as we walk through this, Ground Zero, a rescue effort, encourage you to take your outline. I want to walk through a number of things with you this morning as we finish the book of James. Number one is a holy desire. If I ask you this morning, what are the desires of your heart, what would you say? Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, says, Delight yourself in the Lord. So when I think about kids, students, adults in this room, those watching, can you honestly say this morning, you are delighting yourself in the Lord? And he says, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So what are the desires of your heart? What are holy desires that you have? I thought about that question for me personally. And as I thought about that, I thought, Lord, one, I want to make sure I have the right desires. So I want you to do whatever is necessary for me to always live in the center of your will. God, help me in my life to make sure I am a student of your word every day of my life, feasting and eating the word of God, the milk and meat of the word. Help me to be a student of scripture. But God also makes sure that I have the courage to put boundaries around my life, my marriage, my ministry, that I can finish ministry and finish life faithful to you. And God, those are some of the desires of my life. But what about you? What are some desires of your life? Do you delight yourself in the Lord? And what are the desires of your heart? Well, as we look in James chapter 5, James here is, is writing again. He's going to talk about the, the servant, the man Elijah. And so Elijah's made a difference in the life of James because he's going to talk about the, said the prayer of a righteous man is powerful, effective, availeth much in many translations. But then he's going to talk about Elijah. Something about his life makes a connection to you and me. And so what do we know about Elijah? Let me give you these truths you can write down. Number one, he was a man of commonality. He was like you and me. The Bible says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What's it mean? He's like us. He's like us. He, he sought to live by faith. He wanted to serve God and be faithful to him. But also understand this about Elijah. He struggled with mental illness. There were even a point in his life where he asked God that he could die. He wanted his life to end. And so as we think about a man of commonalities like you and me, there are people in this room, you're walking by faith, you're living faithful to God, and you're honoring him. But there are others in this room, you are struggling with mental situations today in your life. 
The Bible is so true to life because Elijah was a man of commonalities like you and he's like me. Number two, he's a man of consistency. When you look at Elijah, his desire was to be faithful to God. He had a passion to serve him and a passion to be used of him. Those of us in this room, we need to live lives of consistency in the church, in the workplace, in the family, in the school, wherever we are in life, that we have this passion to serve God, to be faithful to him and be used of him. Elijah was a man of consistency. Number three, he was a man of conviction. Elijah was a man of conviction because he knew about the power of God, but he also saw the the disobedience around him, and he was a man of conviction that he was going to speak the truth of God in the midst of false worship. And he also understood this, that he was a man of conviction. He was not there to tickle people's ears. He was to speak the truth of God because God was truthful and powerful. And so he was a man of conviction. I pray in our lives as men, we're men of conviction as well. We're not just going to tickle ears. We're just not going to try to please people. We're going to speak the truth in a spirit of love to people who need to hear the message of God. And then he was a man of courage. He was a man of courage because he was willing to stand up for God when everyone else had walked away. He was a man of courage that he was going to call on the power of God. The fire of God would fall. And and Elijah was a man of incredible courage because he also was willing to steal himself enough that he was willing to pray for it not to rain and then to pray for it to rain. He was an individual who knew the power of God and he was courageous to ask God to hold the rain off and then God at the right time, you send the rain. Now let's walk through this because if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, You're going to be the husband, the father that God wants you to be. And we're going to be the believers that God wants us to be. We need to be individuals of courage and understand our relationship. Look at the next point there, secure relationship. That if we're going to pray as Elijah did, and the scripture is clear, he was a man of prayer. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. Then he prayed again that the rain would come. He was very specific, but he was secure in his relationship with God. I hope this morning you are secure in your relationship with the Heavenly Father as well. Here's what I mean by that. What an honor you and I have in life to be able to share our needs, our desires with a loving, holy, heavenly Father. What what an opportunity. He's invited us to come into his presence, to have a conversation with him that we can share our needs with him. Prayer is a conversation with God. But just as viable it is, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what we need. Will you give this direction? Will you help us in this area? God also speaks into your life and my life and to us as a church. And please understand, it is more important what God says to you and me than what we say to him. And so I encourage you in your prayer life, learn how to listen to God. Elijah knew how to pray, but he also knew how to listen to God. You need a secure relationship with him that you can be honest with God, you can have a conversation with him, and you can walk with him in your life. Number two there, you see, specific request. One of the things that I'm seeking to grow in my own prayer life is that I would learn how to pray more effectively for situations and people by name. Elijah was very specific in his prayer. God, don't let it rain. For three and a half years, it did not rain. And then he prayed again, God, send the rain on the earth that that the fruit can come. He was very specific in how he prayed. Let me ask you, when you pray, do you know how to pray specifically? Are you praying for situations by name? And are you praying for people by name? 
But then for us as a church, what are we asking God to do as a church? Are we asking God to save people and we're putting names to that? Are we asking God to grow us in the likeness of Christ and we're very specific in how that needs to happen? Are we asking God to give us direction as a church? God, give us clarity, vision, direction, what you want to do now, but also in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. Are we asking God to do that? And then are we asking God to let us be the church he wants us to be? Who does he want us to be? Not simply the latest fad, not what another church in another city is doing, but who does God want us to be as First Baptist Church? Are we asking God for direction and guidance that way? If you and I are going to understand, we need some holy desires. Elijah was a man like you and me. He struggled, had a lot of victories, but he knew how to have a conversation with God. He was secure in his relationship, but he was very specific in what he prayed for. I just encourage you and me to do the same thing, that we would be secure in our relationship and we would know how to pray specifically for situations, but also people. Number two, a hurtful departure. He had this incredible desire but there was also this hurtful departure because in verse 19, my brothers, so James is speaking to individuals who knew Christ who were walking with him. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me be transparent with you as a pastor. There are a lot of things in the life of the pastorate that bring joy to a pastor's life. But there are are a number of other things in the life of a pastor that bring pain and disappointment. And one of the things that brings pain and disappointment in the life of a pastor is to see people who say they're believers, who are members of the church, who walk away from Christ, who walk away from the truth of the Lord, but who also walk away from the family of faith. It's painful for a pastor to see that. And you think, does that really happen? Well, assimilation rates in the life of church is tough. Tom Rayner, whom I had a professor in seminary many, many years ago, used to say the average church, the assimilation rate is 35% in churches. He said, well, what does that mean? Let's say we had 10 people who joined the church today. The assimilation rate, say six months or a year from that date, from today, only about three to four would still be in the fellowship of the church. The other six or seven you could no longer find. That's not just a concern, church. That's a tragedy as a church. That's why assimilation matters. And so James is talking here about people who are wanderers. Let me ask you, are you a wanderer in the spiritual life? You're just wandering away. I mean, you may be here physically this morning, but your mind is somewhere else. You already checked your email a number of times. You're seeing your to-do list. What's going to happen the rest of the day of this week? You've kind of checked out. You're somewhere else. Didn't really sing, not really listening, not taking any notes. You're wondering somewhere in your life and your relationship with him. Are you a wonderer, as James talks about? Am I someone who's wondering in the spiritual life as well? Does he have my attention? Is my heart fully engaged in what he wants to do? Where is my heart, my spirit, my mind? I don't want to be a wonderer. I want to be someone who is intimate, and connected with him and that's why the church family matters 
Because when a church family matters, we care for one another. If we see someone wandering in the spiritual life, then we who are spiritual need to go to that brother, sister in Christ and say we need to have a conversation, not out of judgment, but because we care about you. We, we want you to be here. We want you to be engaged with the Lord, but also us as a church and in the truth of God. James is talking about this ground zero, a rescue effort. If you see people walking away from Jesus, walking away from the church, you need to be involved in a rescue effort. Go reach them. Go bring them back. You're not pushing them away. You're seeking to bring them back. And are we doing that? I want to give you some things here, give you a little insight. Why do people walk away? Why do people walk away from Christ? Why do people walk away from truth? Why do they walk away from the church? Let me give you these. One, they don't know biblical truth. There are many people walk away. They've just never been discipled. If we're going to be a great commission church, a part of that is sharing Christ, evangelism. But the other part of that is discipleship. And they go together. They're inseparable. Evangelism, discipleship. We want to reach people with the gospel, which is Jesus' sinless life, sacrificial death, burial in the tomb, glorious resurrection, ascended back to the Father. One day he's coming again. We want to reach people with the gospel, see Jesus change their lives. But also in the Great Commission that you are to teach them to observe, obey everything that I've commanded you. So we need a teaching ministry and so there are many people who walk away because they don't know biblical truth. One of the things that we do as a church, again, when we think about trying to assimilate people, getting them connected in worship but also in connect groups, is we have first steps. It's a membership class we encourage people to come to because in that class we're talking to them about here's how you know Christ in your life. Here's what we believe as a church. Here's how God wants to use you and for you to serve. And here are some expectations of those who are members of our church. We want to be intentional about teaching people and assimilating people into the fellowship of our church. We want to close the back door. We don't want to see people walk away. But there are many people, again, who walk away because they just don't know biblical truth. Number two, they don't make healthy connections. There are people who walk away because relationally they got connected to no one. Please hear my heart as your pastor. I am delighted that you're in this room. You're sitting in pews and rows and we're worshiping God together. We're singing wonderful songs. We're praying together. We're welcoming one another. We're sharing biblical truth from God's word. That is great, but I long to see you get connected in connect groups because you need relationships in this church to stay. Uh, we, we don't want to be like Teflon where you just slide off. We want to be like Velcro where you stick and you stay. And that happens in connect groups because you get to know people and they get to know you. Many times people walk away from churches and they say this, I didn't really get to know anyone. So you and I need to be friendly. Yes, at the welcome centers, we need to be friendly in this service, but we also need to be friendly helping people establish relationships and make relational connections in the church. It's critical if we're going to close the back doors that we help people make healthy connections in the church. Why do people leave? Number three, they don't see the church unified. I talk to people all the time who, who used to be in church but no longer in church. Why? Because, well, the church got divided over some issues. If we want to see people leave and walk out the doors and wonder in the spiritual life, when the church is disunified, you're going to see the back door wide open. People are leaving. 
There's enough chaos and drama in their own lives. They don't want to stay around for that, so they walk out and walk away. Church, I just encourage us, when it comes to worship styles, when it comes to the future of what we do with these buildings, let's make sure that we ask God for unity in our midst. We don't want to see people walk away. We want people to come. Let's be united in who we are as a church. Because division, you'll see people walk away. There's some people, we got dear people in our lives who've walked away from church and you say, why did they do that? Well, a part of it was division. They just walked away because they didn't want the chaos and the division, all that went with that, they walked away. Number four, they don't obey God's leadership. And so somewhere as pastors, but as leaders and as churches, somewhere people walk away from churches, walk away from truth, and has nothing to do with the church at all. I mean, as a pastor, as a church, we, we can't blame ourselves. We can't beat ourselves up because we, there, there's nothing we did wrong. They just didn't obey God's truth, and they walked away. It's an issue of the heart for those individuals. So we see people walking away. Again, there's nothing wrong with the church, nothing wrong with the ministry. They're just not obeying the leadership of God, and they walked away. But we're still to be involved in a rescue effort. So, this departure, we see it in the life of the church. And church, you know, and I'm going to talk about this in just a moment, we have thousands of members on the rolls of this church who no longer attend. And what do we do with that? Church, I say to you, we can't ignore that. If we're going to be faithful to James chapter 5, and we're going to be faithful to the leadership of Christ, we can't ignore the hundreds and thousands of people who are no longer attending our fellowship, worshiping with us, studying God's word with us, and serving with us. We can't ex- put our heads in the sand and ignore that. We've got to do something. That leads me to number three is a healthy decision. Now, what's the decision? We get involved in a rescue effort, and we seek to rescue and there are times you're going to find somebody who's walked away from Christ and you're going, to, you're going to find somebody who's walked away from the truth. You're going to find somebody who's walked away from a church fellowship. And here's the question I use again and again with people as I listen to their stories. Why did you do that? What was going on? How did you make that decision? Here's what I ask them. We'd love for you to come back. We'd love to see you re-engage again. What can we do to fix it? Whatever the issue for you, what can we do to fix it? And you listen to what they have to say. It goes a long, long ways. But church, we got to make sure, though, we keep our eyes on Christ. Number one, how do we do that? Be prepared. Somewhere you're going to need to be prepared to listen. As you're seeking to rescue people, and you think about people in this church, people in your life who used to be involved in church, walked away, used to be faithful to Christ, no longer faithful to him. Somewhere you've got to be prepared. A part of that is being able to listen. I was on the phone this past week. I had a customer service issue, and I was talking to a lady on the phone, and I was doing everything I can to explain my situation to her, and she simply would not stop talking. I mean, everything I tried to say, she's just talking, talking, talking. So I finally said to her, I said, Ma'am, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be difficult. Can I ask you to do me one favor? And she said, What is that? And I said, Would you listen long enough for me to share my concern? And then she didn't say anything else after that. I didn't get any help either. So it, 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 was, it was a no-win situation. I felt better after that myself, but I literally got no help after that. But sometimes you've got to be willing to listen. 
So if we're going to rescue people, you've got to listen. When those rescuers were at ground zero, they were listening. Did they hear anyone sounds of help, anyone pinging on anything? You've got to listen. So if we're going to rescue people who are wanderers, who are wandering in the spiritual life, we've got to be willing to listen to them. Why did you walk away? Why did you do that? Why did you go this direction? Be prepared to listen. Number two, be patient. Because it doesn't happen just overnight. You've got to be patient. Uh, ground Zero, 9-11, didn't happen overnight. They worked and worked. They were patient. They were patient. If we're going to rescue people who are wanderers who drifted away, we've got to be patient. It's going to take weeks. It's going to take months. It may even take years, but we've got to move in that direction. We've got to be patient. Number three, we've got to be persistent. We simply cannot give up. Those rescue workers after 9-11 could not give up. We've got to be persistent. We can't give up. We can't say enough. We've got to keep rescuing people who are wanderers, who are walking away from Christ, the truth, or even the church. We've got to keep pressing forward. Because James says if we do that, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. Isn't that good news right there that if you're a wanderer, and there are people who are wandered away from this church. Isn't it good news that someone's looking for them? Folks, that's good news, that if you've wandered away, somebody is looking for you, trying to rescue you. One of the saddest things is to wonder, nobody looked for you. Nobody's searching for you. No one's trying to rescue you. But he said, if you bring them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There are rewards for being involved in a rescue effort. You may remember in 1988, there was a little girl named Baby Jessica fell in a 27-foot hole, town of Midland, Texas, and people were trying. They worked for 58 hours to rescue that baby. You may remember that story. And you say, well, they rescued the baby, and which, hallelujah, praise the Lord for that. But what happened after that? Here's what happened after that. They got national media attention. Money was pouring in from all over the world. And after that, baby Jessica's parents went through a divorce, and one of the rescue workers took his own life. But James says, if you're involved in a rescue effort, the results are going to be very different than that. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The church matters. Many years ago, I was in Southern California with a group of some of our staff and some of our deacon leadership. And we were at a church conference and we had a break in the afternoon and evening. And so I, Angie and I had been there before to the Crystal Cathedral to a Christmas program. And I said, I want to take you guys up to Crystal Cathedral. Hopefully we'll be able to get in and just to look at the facility and, and to see the place. Because there's not many church buildings like it in the country. And so we drove north from Southern California up to Garden Grove, California. We get to Crystal Cathedral and we find the staff person who lets us in the worship center. And so we're walking around the worship center and we're looking at all the glass and we're seeing the different sections, the section here and here. We're seeing the jumbotrons. At that time, not many churches had those. These were huge screens, jumbotrons. And so I said to the staff member, I said, is it okay if I walk up in the pulpit and just stand and look out at the place and to see what kind of view that would be on a Sunday? I'd like to do that. And, and, and the staff member said, you're not welcome to do that. 
And I said, so I, I can't walk up there and say, I said, no, unless Dr. Schuler has invited you personally to stand in the pulpit, you're not allowed to do that. And I said, well, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to share. I just want to stand there and look out and sit. He said, if Dr. Schuler's invited you, and I don't think he has, you're not allowed to do that. I had a group of men with me, staff members but deacons, who had my back. I knew that from them. Those deacons came to that staff member, but also to me, and said, Pastor, if you're not allowed to stand in that pulpit and just to see this, we don't even want to be in this building. Let's go. We don't need to be here. And we walked out the door. Uh, one night last week, Ains and I were sitting on the hotel balcony for a moment. Interesting enough, our hotel balcony looked toward Garden Grove, California. And I could see what used to be the Crystal Cathedral about a mile and a half away. It was one of those holy ground moments for me as I sat there. Because I thought about that experience, I thought about those men, and I thought about the church. Church, what we do matters. As I sit there on that balcony looking at what used to be the Crystal Cathedral, that church, that ministry went through bankruptcy. That ministry collapsed. That building was sold to another denomination. Church, I just encourage us as we think about Ground Zero a Rescue Effort, what really matters at the end of the day? Church, can I just say buildings are important, but let's make sure our eyes aren't simply on these buildings. Let's make sure as a church our eyes are on Jesus, and let's make sure our eyes are on people. That's what matters. If this building is gone next week, I pray it doesn't happen. If this building is gone next week, guess what? The church continues to function. In this building or not in this building. Don't focus on what is not going to last. Jesus and relationships. Look at this last part. Who needs to be rescued in your life? I want you to think about this in your life today. Kids, students, adults. Number one, what about your family? Your family may live in Clarksville, Tennessee. Your family may live in another city or another state. But how many of you can identify by name family members who are no longer faithful to Christ, who are no longer living by the truth, and who are no longer connected to the fellowship of a church? Or at one time was, but have wandered away and no longer connected. Can you write down any family members who are living that way currently? Number two, what about your workplace? You've got people in your workplace. You know them by name. Well, at one time, they were faithful to Jesus. They were faithful to truth. They were faithful to a local church. But you're going to see them tomorrow, maybe this week. This weekend, they didn't live for Jesus. This weekend, they didn't live for truth. And this weekend, they didn't darken the door of a church fellowship together with God's people. They've wandered away. You know those people. Number three, what about your friends? People you're friends with. 
You hang out with them. You maybe do recreation with them. You do other things. They're in your neighborhood, other people. At one time, you know their, their story. Faithful to Christ. Faithful to truth. Faithful to the local church. But now, because of a number of things, no longer walking with the Lord, no longer living by gospel truth, and no longer engaged in the fellowship of a church. Friends. Number four, what about our church? You know people used to be in your connect group, used to be in the women's ministry, men's ministry, used to be involved in the church, used to serve in this church. Walk in with Christ, faithful to the truth, faithful to this church. But today, not living for Jesus, not faithful to God's word, and they no longer darken the door of this church as we gather. Do you know some of those people? Church, again, we have thousands of people on our membership roll. And there are a lot of people who don't come. It's ground zero. There needs to be a rescue effort. And so this morning as we get ready to pray, I want to encourage you, you need to come to the altar this morning as an individual, as a couple, as a family. And you can just say, we've got family members and we know them by name. We've got work, my workplace. I'm going to see people tomorrow. Friends, people I hang out with, I know, we call, we text, we do things together. Church members who used to be here are no longer here. It's a rescue effort. Are you willing to go rescue them? And you just need to ask God to give you courage, direction, sensitivity, and wisdom. A rescue effort. I want to encourage you in the room or watching, if you don't know Christ, I just plead with you, surrender your life to Jesus. Give him your life today. He'll save you today. His grace is amazing. He's the only way to be saved. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. You need to be baptized. Follow the leadership of Christ. Obey him in believer's baptism. You want to join the fellowship of the church, get assimilated, get connected. This is a wonderful family to be a part of. We encourage you to make that decision. Anything in the Christian life or God's calling you into ministry, we would love to celebrate with you and help you. Our staff's going to be here. You can respond to us on the platform you're watching on. But also, do you need to pray this morning because someone needs to be rescued? He or she or they wondered, and you need to search for them and rescue them. He's a good, good father. And he wants to use us in rescuing people. Let's pray together. Father, we bowed this morning. Thank you that when we were lost, Jesus, you found us. And you rescued us from death to life, darkness to light. And Father, there are many of us in this room who could say there was a period in life we wandered away from the Lord, from truth, and even the church. But how we're thankful, Lord, the Holy Spirit worked in our lives and other people were searching for us and they found us and we're back in fellowship with you and fellowship with your people again. So, Father, if there's anyone who needs Christ, anyone needs to be baptized, anyone who needs to join the fellowship of this church, 
anyone to make a spiritual decision. God, our staff, our prayer team, we welcome them here today because they're coming to you, not merely coming to us. But fathers, we just think about family members, work associates, friends, church members. Father, who aren't living faithful to you, who aren't living by your truth, who aren't connecting with your people. God, will you break us today that we could be involved in a rescue effort to see those people get back in fellowship with you again and fellowship with your people. May this altar be filled with people who are saying, Lord, use me in this rescue effort, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.